going to continue in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, the gospel in the Old Testament. Last week we talked about the cause. We talked about a few things in the Old Testament. But the main important thing in Isaiah 53 is the cause. Why did Jesus come? Why? It says in uh, 53, 4, uh, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible looks, uh, God looks upon us as sheep, stupid animals. And surely we are stupid. As far as before we were saved, we're not stupid now. We have the wisdom of God now because we have God's word that we believe. But we're like sheep, foolish, going astray all the time. He also says that we're like helpless leaves. You know, we're in that season where the leaves are falling off the trees, and those leaves that fall off the trees are at the mercy of the wind. And just like leaves are, as a, uh, are, are at the mercy of a limb, uh, uh, wind, excuse me, we are at the mercy of our sinful nature before we were saved. We're not, we still have the sinful nature, but we are no longer under that under the under that control of sin. We have the Holy Spirit within us, so we have a new spirit within us. So why did he come? Surely he hath borne our griefs, verse 4, and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. That's the cure. He bore our griefs, our sin, in his body on the tree. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. I, I can't get enough of that, folks. I, I can't imagine, we talked about that this morning in Sunday school, how terrible it was for Jesus to bear the sins of the whole world, not just your sins and my sins, folks, not just the sins of the saved, the sins of the whole world. The Bible says that he's the propitiation, which means a satisfactory sacrifice. Actually, it means literally means the atoning victim. The atoning, the sacrifice, the, the satisfactory atoning victim for our sins, but not for our sins alone, but for the sins of the whole world. Can you imagine how many sins have there been since Adam up until the last person to be born at the end, maybe at the end of the millennium? I don't know when, when the last person's going to be born. All that sin, billions and billions and trillions and trillions of sin was all was laid upon him, the perfect God of the universe. And his father had to turn away and pour his wrath upon his own son. I, can we ever thank God enough for that? But now we're going to talk about the results. I want you to notice, uh, let's go to Isaiah, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. I keep thinking this is like Sunday school. Sunday school, I have all the verses down for you, but we don't have these verses here. I want you to notice chapter 53. Look at verse 10. Very interesting. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. It pleased the Father sacrifice his own son. It pleased him. 
Can you imagine that? It pleased him. Why did it please him? Because when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his, see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Because it pleased him, because his son paid for our sins. It didn't please him to see his son on the cross. It pleased him to see the results of the son on the cross. Because he died and he said it is finished, the atonement is finished, the, the way was opened for us to come to Christ as our Savior. He paid the price to give us the opportunity, but he doesn't force it on us. We have the opportunity by faith to trust him as our Savior, but that, that is not forced upon us. That's one of the results. The father sacrificed his own son. Just like God told Abraham to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah, I mentioned this this morning, but he stopped him just before he, he sacrificed Isaac, didn't he? But he didn't stop himself from sacrificing his own son. Abraham is a picture of the father. Isaac is a picture of the son. But God stopped Abraham, and he didn't have to sacrifice his son. But God didn't stop himself from sacrificing his son to pay for our sins. If Abraham had killed Isaac, would that have paid for our sins? No. Nope. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ did pay for our sins. I got a little bit of a ring here, I think. I don't know if I'm too loud. That's the difference. The sacrifice of the son was for the sins of the whole world, mankind. I, mean, I just quoted this verse, but 1 John 2, 2 says, And he was the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation is the Greek word halasmos. And halasmos means an appeasing sacrifici uh, sacrificiary, sacrifactory, sorry, satisfactory, satisfactory sacrifice. Literally, an atoning victim. The Old Testament word for atonement can be found in the New Testament word propitiation. They both mean the same thing. He is the appeasing, satisfactory sacrifice for our sins. David said in Psalm 40, verses 8 through 6, sacri and the way David wrote this, but these are Jesus' words to the Father. He said, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, my ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings thou hast not required. Burnt offerings and sin offerings are not necessary or required for salvation. When God told Israel to sacrifice all those animals, the blood of those animals could never take away sin, right? But it was a picture of the perfect Lamb of God whose blood would take away sin. So then Jesus said, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Jesus said, I'll go down and pay for their sins. Because the sacrifice of animals is not good enough to take away sins. You look in the Old Testament, you will never find any place in the Old Testament where God says, If you keep the law, and if you sacrifice animals, will go to heaven. Does it say that? Nowhere does it say that. It says, if you keep the law, and if you sacrifice animals, and if you do my will, then I'll give you rain in due season, and your animals will be healthy, and your, your farms will, you'll, you'll get, you'll, you'll reap from your farms. I'll keep your enemies away. 
and all these things that was part of God's promise but they didn't believe it and you know what happened to Israel but the blood of the of lambs and goats and sheep and whatever can never take away sin only the blood of Jesus Christ and it was a picture of what he was going to do in the future Hebrews 10.5 repeats the whole thing. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldst not, but a body that thou hast prepared for me. Why did, why did God have to prepare a body for Jesus? Why couldn't he come down as God? He didn't stop being God, but he became a man. Why did he have to become a man? Because if he didn't become a man, he couldn't die, could he? And he couldn't shed his blood, could he? He became a man in order so that he could die. He came to die. He came as a servant. He came as a savior and not as a king. He's coming again, but he's not coming as a servant the second time. And I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm talking about the second coming. When he comes the second time, he's coming as a king. He's going to come in wrath, and he's going to pour his wrath upon all the unbelieving gen all, the, all the unbelievers of the world. Keeping of the law, like I said, is not sufficient for salvation. Galatians 2.16 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. Abraham wasn't justified by the promise. Abraham wasn't justified by works. Abraham, the Bible says in Romans that Abraham was believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Abraham was saved by faith. The same way you and I are, by believing. The only difference is Abraham believed in the future of salvation through Jesus Christ, although he didn't know his name was that. We believe in the past that that already happened. But it's all by faith and not by works. The purpose of the law is not to show us salvation. The purpose of the law is to show us that we're sinners, Amen. right? Remember when uh, Moses went up on Mount, on Mount uh, Sinai? You know, when you read that carefully, you will see that when God gave the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel heard his voice. They heard it too. And they said, when Moses came back down, they said, uh, you go up there and you talk to God. We don't want to hear. We're, we're afraid of his voice. We don't want to be near. We're afraid of the mountain being on fire. We're afraid of everything. And when Moses came down, his face was shining so much because he was in the presence of God that they had to put a veil over his face. They didn't want to hear the law because they knew they couldn't keep the law. The law cannot justify anybody. But Galatians 3.24 says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The law shows us that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And the Savior came because of that. Good works are not sufficient for salvation. Uh, Pastor Falk was talking this morning about basically two different kinds of religion, religion of works, and, re and relationship with Jesus Christ. I, my grandson's looking at me. He hates it when he, when he calls what we have a religion. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Right, Brendan? Right. Amen. But good works cannot save us. 
you know, I told you the thing about the scale. I'm not going to do that again. A lot of people think, well, when I stand before God, I'm going to say, hey, I did. Remember, isn't there the place in the Bible where he says, haven't we done this and that and all these good things? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. How do you know him? By trusting him as your Savior. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Isaiah says, but all we are as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. God doesn't look at our good works and say, oh, he's earning heaven. I think I'll let him in because he was a good man. You know, there's billions of people in this world that think that way because they're following the wide gate, and the reason they're following the wide gate, Brother Paul told us this morning, is because they're listening to false prophets and false leaders and false preachers, giving them lies instead of the truth. Good works cannot cancel out sin. There's only one thing that can cancel out our sin. Peter said, 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. Not only his stripes, death on the cross. Jesus' sacrifice satisfied God's judgment on sin. If you look at it, if you're still in Isaiah, look at verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Who shall see the travail of whose soul? The Father shall see the travail of the Son's soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. I can't, you know, can, is it possible to thank God enough for doing that? Absolutely not. That travail of his soul means his grief, his misery. He went through physical grief. The Bible said he suffered more than any other man. They pulled his beard out. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He went through a whipping. They beat him with their fist. Boy, I wouldn't want to be the Roman soldier that, that struck Christ on the face and that pulled out his beard. That's a terrible thing. Psalm 69, 19 through 21 is a messianic psalm. He says, they have dual meaning. Sometimes David's talking about himself, but it has a, a double meaning which can be can be uh, thought of as Jesus himself. He said in verse 19, Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me gall also for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. See, that's why we say that this is messianic, because that's exactly what happened to Jesus. He looked for some to take pity on him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The same ones that said, Hosanna in the highest on Palm Sunday, 
said, crucify him, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar, the following Friday. The same ones. First they think that he is the king of kings, and then they think he's a phony and he deserves to die. They rejected him. But the sacrifice of Jesus satisfied God. I know I said this before, but these, these points are very important. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He died. John 19, 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. What is finished? The atonement's finished. The price has been paid. The way to salvation has been opened. The narrow gate that you can go through is now open. What happened when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from the dead a few days later? What happened to the veil that's in the temple? From top to bottom. The access to salvation is now open. It was closed. Nobody could go through that, that, that uh, veil only once a year, you know, back in the Old Testament. I, don't, I guess they did it in the New Testament, too. Only once a year on the Day of Atonement could the high priest go in there and offer the, the, the atoning sacrifice and the, and the goat. You know the story about the goat and the scapegoat. But that veil, I did a message on that once. I love the veil. Remember that? That veil was ripped right down from top to bottom, and now we have direct access to salvation. We also have direct access to God when we pray. We don't have to go to a priest to pray. Right. We don't have to go to anybody to pray. We can pray directly to God, and he hears us. Can you imagine that? God takes the time to listen to our prayer, and he can hear us, and he wants us to pray. He said, it is finished. Can you, can you imagine the relief in, that he had when he said, oh, it's finally finished, and now they can come, and I can... I can show them the great mansions that I'm making for them. Matthew 27, 51 said, When Jesus had cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, there it is. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks did rent. The way of salvation has been opened to those that believe. First Peter says, For Christ hath also suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for the whole world. He said, And I, and, and I if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Draw doesn't mean force. It means invite urge. Ask them to come. Everybody has an opportunity. Nobody's going to go to hell because they can blame God. Nobody can blame God for sending them to hell. I hate it when people say, you know, when I stand before God, I'm going to straighten him out. I'm going to tell him what he did wrong. And I'm going to tell him why I deserve to go to heaven. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to be on your face. And you're going to say, if, you, if, you've, if you've rejected Christ, you're going to say, please give me one more chance. Please, 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 I believe you now. But it'll be too late then. God did everything that he needed to. Everything that was necessary to be done 
Jesus did it. All we need to do is believe. Nobody's going to go to hell and blame God. As a matter of fact, God takes no joy in sending anybody to hell. He says that in the book of Ezekiel. I have no, I can't think of the exact terminology of it, and I couldn't, couldn't find it for you, but paraphrasing it, I have no joy in the death of an unbeliever. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But some will. And if they do, it's because they reject Jesus. Here's another result, very important result, of Jesus' sacrifice. Verse 12. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. This is God the Father talking. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. When Jesus died, they put him in a grave. Did he stay there? No. He resurrected from the dead. Where is Buddha right now? In the grave. Where is, well, I almost said Vishnu, but that's a false god. Uh, Mohammed. I'm trying to think of the name of the guy that started Buddhism. Siddhakara or something. I forget how you. What is it? Siddhartha. Where is he right now? He's in the grave. Where are all the false god, false believers and and gods, so-called gods and leaders that 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 have led people astray? They're all still in the grave and they're all dust right now. But Jesus isn't in the grave. Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And, and God said, because he poured out his soul and was numbered with the transgressors and bare the sins of many and made the sins, made an intercession for the transgressors, therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, the saved. But listen, folks, resurrection was not just a reward for what Jesus did. It, it was more than just a reward. It was a necessity. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 talks about the resurrection, the necessity of the resurrection. Apparently, there was people who didn't believe in the resurrection. Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection in time of Christ. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 23 said, and he's addressing people that don't believe in resurrection, he said, for if the dead raise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain, uh-oh, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep or died in Christ are perished, is still in the grave. If in only this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept or died. For since by man came death, that's Adam, then by man came the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall we be made alive. But every man in his own order. If you say you said this just a little while ago, Christ the first fruits, the first one to be resurrected. And after that, they that are Christ at his coming. That's the rapture. 
If Jesus was still in the grave now, would we be saved? No. Because if in this life only we have faith, then we are all, we are all most miserable. The resurrection was not just a reward for what Jesus did. The resurrection is necessary for our salvation. It proved that God was satisfied with his sacrifice on the cross. And he, of course, he, he couldn't stay in the grave. He's God. But the point is, his body rose from the dead to justify and to, and, and to, and to show the proof that God was satisfied with his sacrifice. But there's more to resurrection than just Jesus. I won't say just Jesus. There's more to resurrection than Jesus rising from the dead and the necessity of his resurrection for our salvation. Listen to this in Revelation 21, 1-7. Well, before we go there, let's think about the rapture. That's a resurrection, right? Am I going to look like this? When I'm resurrected, will I understand God finally with my resurrection body? Finally, can I understand? Can I fully understand? That's that that just blows my blows me away. I sometimes I sit in my chair and I try to imagine God, how great He is. Try to imagine somebody who is infinitely in the past that had no beginning. No beginning. Who created God? Nobody. God always was. I can't wrap my mind around that. But when I get my resurrected body, I will wrap my mind. The Bible says that when we when we are with Him, we will see Him as He is. Amen. We will understand. We can't understand it now. It's just beyond my ken, as they say in Scotland. But there's more than that. Revelation 21, 1-7 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, oh, I can't wait to see that, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned to her husband, 1,500 miles long, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles wide. That's about the third the size of the moon. Coming down from heaven, new Jerusalem, and a new earth, and a new, and a new universe, adorned as a bride for her husband. Verse 3, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And be their God. You don't have to take a number, folks, and say, oh, it's my turn, it's my turn, it's my turn. No, God will be with them, all of them. How's he going to do that? I don't know. But he will do it. He's going to be with us all at the same time. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. <laughs> neither shall there be any more pain. Oh, boy. How do you think, what do you think about that, Nancy? No more pain, right? And anybody that has pain right now, no more pain, no more suffering. Eric, you're not going to feel so tired anymore, right? No crying, no more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. No more sin nature, by the way. Gone. No more desire to sin. No more. The thought of it doesn't even come into our minds. I can't imagine that. Gone. And he said, Write these words which are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is the thirst, the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Does that make you want to, doesn't that make you want to jump up and down a little bit? What did you do, Heather, when I told you that, that Rich got saved today? She almost, she almost jumped out of her seat. And that's, just, and that's just thinking about a person being saved. I can't, you know, I get, I'm, up, I'm, I'm speechless, folks. I can't, I can't say enough. I mean, there's not a word in the English language that's strong enough to profess God, what he's like. It's just beyond our ken. It's beyond our imagination. It's beyond what we can think. But someday we will see him as he is. Can we ever thank God enough for what he has done? No. I'll close with this. Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, who is rich and rich. But God. Let's stop right there. But God. Someday you should do a study on those two words. But God. Look up all the places in the Bible where it says, but God. It, it, it's a tremendous blessing. Sometimes, but God is for negative things, too. But most of the times, but God is for the positive things. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead and sinned, had, wicked, had quickened us together with Christ. Quickened means to be made alive. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine that? What it's like to be in heaven? Is heaven going to be like a cloud? Or is it going to be like beautiful land? Or is it going to be like something that we can't imagine? I did a study on... on, on, on uh, the limitations that we have, we can see the colors of a certain spectrum, right? The spectrum of colors that we can see. But I think there's more colors beyond ultraviolet and beyond infrared that we will be able to see. Maybe we can see sound. Maybe we can hear color. I mean, that's just my imagination. I'm not saying that, but that's true. We are limited in what we can see. But when we're there, there will be no limits. Maybe we will see. Try to think of a color beyond the colors that you know. Just try. Try to think of a color. Think of a color behind, beyond red, white, blue, the primary colors, the secondary colors. Try to think of another color, can you? Can't do it. But they're there. There are colors beyond the ultraviolet spectrum. There are colors beyond the infrared spectrum that we cannot see. Some animals can see them, but we can't see them. But I like to think, wow, when we get to heaven, we're going to see colors that we didn't even know existed. Beautiful colors. It's wonderful. And yet, here we are, 
knowing all this, what do we do? Sometimes we follow this guy. I can say this now because uh, Sherry's not here. The sin nature, the spirit nature. Sometimes we follow this guy. Even though all that we know, everything we've heard when we, we, we hear preaching, sometimes we follow that thing, that sin nature. And we don't follow the spirit nature. This guy is fighting against this guy all the time. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's not like there's a little devil on this shoulder and a little angel on that shoulder. And this devil goes across and kicks the angels off the shoulder and says, aha, he's going to follow me. No, no. It's within us, folks. We can still sin. But we also have the spirit, which fights against the flesh. And the Bible said, whichever one you follow, he's going to be your master. God doesn't force us to follow the spirit. He gives us everything we need to follow the spirit. It's right there within us. We have two things. We have a spirit which was dead in trespasses and sin, which is now made alive when we trust Christ as our Savior. But we also have the Holy Spirit. Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's, in your flesh and your flesh and your, in your I don't know, I forget exactly, but it's in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And he did everything that he needed to do to bring us home. All we have to do is trust him. So therefore, some of you here and some of you on, uh, on, on, on media heard the message this morning about the wide gate and the narrow gate and heard what we said tonight. The decision is up to you. You can resist and you can follow your old ways or you can, you, can, you can repent and give in and turn to God. But the choice is up to you. So I pray as I close that if there's anybody out in, on, that, that may be watching on media or anybody here, I don't think anybody here is unsafe. But it's good to hear about that, though, isn't it? It's good to hear about what God has already done for you. Pray that, that if you are not saved, don't put it off. Remember what uh, what um, uh, was his name? Agrippa said to Paul, "Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded." That's one of the said. That song says that. Sad, sad for a person to say, "Almost, but lost." Almost is not enough, folks. You can't go to stand before God and say, well, I heard the gospel and I almost believed it. It's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you. Almost is not enough. Almost is to be lost. So trust Christ as your Savior. Confess that you are a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for your sins. That's the only way you can get to heaven. And trust him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for your word, Lord. It's so wonderful. You've given us everything that we need right within the word of God to have a home with you in heaven and to live in a, in a mansion that you're preparing for us right now. And Lord, I thank you for Richard today that trusted you as his Savior. Help us to help him to learn more about, about you. He doesn't know everything about you. He's 
he's, uh, he's a little mixed up. He's a little confused. He doesn't know everything, but he knows that he needed a Savior, and he knows that he needed to trust Christ as a Savior, and he did that today. And let's just pray for him that, that he will grow spiritually. Help us all to grow spiritually. We have not yet reached. We press on toward the mark of the high calling, but we haven't reached it yet. Pray that you would help us to do that. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's stand. We're going to sing one song of invitation. Oh, will you be quiet. Is that that thing down there doing that? That thing? Let's go to 489, I surrender all. I surrender all. That's what he wants us to do, to surrender to him. He did his part. He wants us to do our part. I surrender all, number 489. Sing it from your heart. All to Jesus. think about that. Surrender. That's all he asks. Surrender your life to him. It's a reasonable service, Paul says, to, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it's reasonable because of what he did for us. Let's close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, again, we thank you for the great salvation that you have given to us and the, pr the price that you paid for, for us. And help us, Lord, to surrender our lives to you. Lord, you have a job for each and every one of us. You've given us gifts. You have a will for us all. And help us to seek that gift out, seek that will out, and to do it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.